Good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, we are continuing our two-part series in the book of Jude. Uh, so could I ask you to turn with me, please, uh, to Jude, that's the second last book of the New Testament, uh, and we're looking at verses 17 to 25 uh, of Jude. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word, uh, and we ask that you speak to us now uh, as we look at this passage uh, and may your spirit be uh, working in each of our hearts and causing us to respond rightly to you. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We started the sermon last week by noting that as we deal with the threat of the pandemic, there are still other threats that we must not ignore. And that's not just threats to our health, but also to the health of our church. And we identified some of those threats as we read the first 16 verses of Jude. After reminding his readers that they are called, loved by the Father, kept in Jesus Christ, and after praying for the multiplication of grace, mercy, and, uh, and love among them, Jude warned them about certain people who had come into the church of his day. These people had turned the grace of God into an excuse for sexual immorality, and in doing so, had denied our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. But they, and the people influenced by them, were in terrible danger. Because God really does judge sin. He judged Israel for her sins. He judged the fallen angels for their sin. He judged pagan cities for their sin. And yet these people thought they could get away with it. They accepted and perhaps even celebrated sexual immorality. They rejected apostolic authority and relied on their dreams. They dabbled in spiritual matters they didn't really understand. They were ungodly in the use of their words, grumbling, boasting, and flattering. And God would certainly bring judgment on all the ungodly for their ungodly actions and speech. And so these people were not only putting themselves in danger, but endangering God's people who might be influenced by them. Last week, we noted that though we may not always see the exact combination uh, of ungodly characteristics, this kind of ungodliness is a threat in every generation. We learn to identify the threat and took the time to ponder if we ourselves have been influenced or led astray by people like this. And we turn to God in repentance for any ways in which these ungodly characteristics were shown in our own lives. But just identifying the threats is not enough. We need to know what to do when we see them. And so this week, we will see three things that Jude wanted the Christians of his day to do, and the Holy Spirit wants us to do. For there are three big imperatives, three big instructions or orders that he gives to us here, and we will look at each of them in turn. The first thing that Jude tells us to do is remember. Remember. Right? Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? To remember here is not just a mental act. It's about bringing to mind something from the past and applying it to the present. Jude wants us to remember what the apostles warned us ahead of time. 
They said to you, verse 18, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And that was exactly what was happening in Jude's time. And because we are still living in the last times, that is also what is happening in ours. We've been in the last days since the ascension of Jesus, and we will be until he returns. And, and in these times, there have been and there will continue to be people in churches who pour scorn on the teaching of the apostles and follow their own ungodly passions. Bear that in mind. Sometimes, when believers oppose them, when we contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, there might be problems. There might be conflict, there might be disunity, and we know we're meant to strive for peace and unity. And so Jude assures us here that to stand against these people is not wrong. The real cause of division is their ungodliness and the fact they're not really believers anyway. And so he says in verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Uh, there is no unity in the Spirit to preserve because well, they don't have God's Spirit. And so the first thing to, he wants us to do is remember the apostolic warnings and remember you do not have to be one with these people. But these people may or may become very influential in God's church. And they certainly seem to be very powerful in Jews' day. So what do you, as a normal, everyday believer, do? When you're on an aeroplane, for some of us that's a distant memory, uh, and what happens is you're told that if an oxygen mask appears, first you need to put your own mask first before you try and help other people. Uh, that's right, because if you pass out, then you won't be able to help anyone. Before Jude tells us to help others, he first wants us to protect ourselves. And so the next big instruction there in verse 21 is this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, we know there is one sense in which God loves everyone. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The world that was in full flight of rebellion against him. But there is a special love that God has for his people. God has loved his son perfectly and thoroughly for all eternity. And when God chose us to be in Christ, we were loved with that love in a very special way. And with that love comes an overflow of mercy, grace, redemption, forgiveness, acceptance, delight, and joy. All these things we have in Christ. And we are to keep ourselves in that love by remaining in Christ. Now, you might say, hang on, Andrew, isn't God the one who keeps us? Well, yes, he is. Uh, later on, we will see that God can keep us from falling. All right, different word in the Greek, but, but the generally same idea. Right, at the beginning of Jude, it's Luke, uh, beginning of Jude uh, it says that we are kept in Jesus Christ. God does the keeping. But you know what? We also do the keeping. You know, God's sovereignty doesn't take away human responsibility. God keeps us. We keep ourselves. Both are true. Right? God's keeping of us is the big thing. Right? And so what we say is that part of the way God keeps us is giving us the will and the power to keep ourselves. Uh, so the fact that God keeps us does not in any way relieve us of the responsibility of keeping ourselves. Right? Any more than the fact that God elects to salvation relieves people of the responsibility to repent and believe. The fact that Jude has to urge his readers to keep themselves in the love of Christ indicates 
that the presence of these certain people in the community is a threat to that, because what they are advocating may be attractive. Sexual immorality may be appealing, especially if it's made to look normal and loving, and those who oppose it are called hateful and must be cancelled. Who wants that? Dreams may be appealing as far as more you know, exciting, uh, immediate, contemporary basis for authority than the, than the word of God through the apostles. Cursing the spirits may look attractive, as if those who engage in it have real power in the spiritual realm that, that normal people can only marvel at. And we humans will always be tempted to join in the grumbling, boasting, and flattery for our own advantage. And so we need to be proactive, not passive, in our Christian lives. We're not to just let go and let God keep. No, 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 my friends. The love of God is so good. It is the most precious thing in our lives. We must do what Jude says. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, how to do that is explained in these three words, ending with ing in verses 20 20 and 21. Right? He says, beloved brother, but you beloved, right? Building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and in verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Right? Those are the three things that, that help us in this keeping ourselves in the love of God. Well, let's look at each of those three things in turn. First of all, uh, Jude tells his readers to be building themselves up in the most holy faith. Right? Now, faith he refers to here, uh, refers back in verse 3 to the, the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. In other words, this is the gospel and its implications, the, the, the body of apostolic teaching that derives from it. And notice it's the holy faith. It's the faith that comes from the holy God. It leads to holiness, not immor- immorality in life. And so St. Jude says, part of keeping yourselves in the love of God is building yourself up in this most holy faith. And brothers and sisters, can I encourage you to do that? How are you doing your Bible reading? How are you building yourselves up by, by reading God's word every day? Uh, never say, oh no, I already know stuff from the Bible. Right? The command here is not to have a certain amount of information, but to keep building ourselves up. It's a dynamic thing, not a static thing. Right? We can't be stagnant. Now, Don't get me wrong. It's not Bible knowledge itself that keeps us in God's love. We are saved by grace through faith, and we are kept by grace through faith. But the fact that we are growing in the most holy faith is one of the things that help us not to abandon it. And remember, Jude is not just talking to individuals here. He's talking to God's people together. So so let's do that together as well. Part of what we're doing right this very moment as we listen to Scripture being expounded, is building ourselves up as God's holy people together in the most holy faith. And that's also what you do in your small groups as you read the Bible and discuss it in the context of loving relationships. That's what you do in one-to-one Bible reading, in family devotions, in youth group, or as you read good books or watch or listen to good teaching on the internet. As you do that, Remember, we are building ourselves up in the most holy faith, not just so we have more academic information about the scriptures, as useful as that might be, but that we know Christ better, that we love him more, that we obey him in our lives, that we are kept in his love. That is so important. Now, as we're talking about building ourselves up, let me tell you about one of the unique things we have at St. Mary's to help us do that. And that's Tuesday night training. 
Not everyone in our community is able to do the more in-depth study of God's Word in Tuesday night training. Some people just can't manage the study. Some people just don't have the time. Uh, and I think, generally speaking, if you only have one night a week, growth group should be the priority. Uh, so not, not everyone can do Tuesday night training. But if enough people do it, that raises the level of biblical and theological literacy in our St. Mary's community. And as God's people together, we are better prepared to lovingly help and teach and build each other up in the most holy faith. And the more we do that, the better we will be prepared as a community to recognize and reject error when it comes. And so together, keep ourselves in the love of Christ. The second thing Jude wants his readers to be doing to keep themselves in God's love is to be praying in the Holy Spirit. You see that there at the end of verse 20. Praying means talking to God. That's that's what prayer is. Uh, But as Jude tells us to pray, he's reminding us to pray in the Holy Spirit. Because I'm sure the people who infiltrated the church prayed, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit who was directing their prayers. Because the Spirit points us to Christ. He enables us to know Christ as Lord. And as Lord... He moves us to pray to the Father through the Son. Uh, He works in his word in our hearts. Uh, Lead us to pray for the kind of thing that our holy God wants. He he makes us gospel-minded in our prayers at all different levels. And even as we pray, he leads us to holiness. Uh, Judas told us to build ourselves up in the holy faith. And now he tells us to pray in or by the Holy Spirit. May I ask you, are you praying? in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit? Do we spend a bit of time each day speaking to God? Uh, Do we instinctively cry out to God when we need help throughout the day? Uh, In a few minutes, we will do so as God's people together. And that's a very precious and important part of our service. That's one of the main things we do when we come together is to pray, whether it's on Sunday or in small groups or when we meet one-to-one on the phone or online, we, we pray together. Uh, We even have a Zoom meeting that's primarily for prayer. I'll talk to you about it in the announcements. When we pray, one good thing to do is to to use Scripture. Uh, Over in Ephesians, Paul says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Then he immediately tells us to pray in the Spirit, which presumably there means to pray according to the Spirit's Word. Uh, And so can I encourage you, when you've read a passage of Scripture, think, how can I turn this to prayer? Uh, There may be things that you can thank God for, There may be things you can ask for. There may be things you can ask his help to do. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, there'll be times when we just pour out our emotions to God, allow him once again to show his steadfast love to us as the Spirit points us to the cross. Or when we feel anxious or depressed, let that be a trigger to to come to God and tell him how we're feeling. And there will be times when we don't even know how to pray, and the Spirit will pray for us in groanings that words cannot express. Whatever the case is, whether it's good times or bad times, don't let them lead you away from God. Take it to God in prayer. And as you pray, make sure that you keep asking God to make you as an individual and us as a church more like Jesus in our character. Ask Him by his Holy Spirit, to make us more holy. Let us keep ourselves in the love of God by keeping on coming back to him in prayer. 
The third thing we should be doing to keep ourselves in the love of God is uh, at the end of verse 21. We should be waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, right? The word waiting there implies looking forward with eager expectation. These certain people will not always be powerful. Right? The church may be by schisms rent asunder and heresies distressed. But Jesus Christ will return. And in his mercy, he will exercise his judgment. And when he does, and those who trust him and therefore obey him, will be with him forever. God has shown his mercy in the past by giving his son to die for our sins in our place, so that he can forgive us, even though we don't deserve it. And he will show us mercy when Jesus returns by giving us eternal life with him forever, even though we don't deserve it. And so because of his grace and mercy, we can look forward to the coming of Jesus with eager expectation. And whatever trials we face now, whatever temptations we have to say no to now, whatever insults or scoffing we may suffer now, it is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us on that day. So if we are godly now, it doesn't mean we're going to miss out. We've got to look forward to the future in hope. So never, never, never lose the sense that Jesus will come again. Right? There are people in our churches today who deny that Christ will come again. They try just to reinterpret it to mean, oh, the forces of good will eventually get the upper hand in the world. Right? That is not the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That is another gospel entirely. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Press on in faith and godliness until Jesus comes, and it will all be worthwhile. So, my friends, keep yourselves in the love of God. How? Keep growing in God's word, pray, and whatever happens, look forward to the return of Christ. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But that's what we're meant to do to keep ourselves out of danger and in the love of Jesus. Well, having applied the oxygen mask to ourselves and started to breathe, we look around to see how can we help others. And once again, Jews shows us. As I said last week, he's not just talking to church leaders here, he's talking to all of us together. And he's telling us what to do with three groups of people. First of all, he says uh, in verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Right? The ones who doubt here are the ones who are hesitating. Right? They're wavering. They're, they're not sure. They're being attracted on the one hand by what these people are saying, and yet they're, yet they're holding back. Right? Uh, friends, you can anticipate mercy when Christ returns. You join with Jude at the beginning of his letter, praying for grace, mercy, and peace to be multiplied in the church. Now, Jude says, show mercy to these people. Right? It means you don't punish them or scold them for their doubts, but you don't leave them to doubt either. You work out how you can help. Now, Jude doesn't tell us how to do that because it really depends on who we are, who they are, and what is our relationship with them. Right, sometimes it might work, mean working hard with them to see the danger they're in if they follow the ways of these certain people. Right, that might mean taking them out for te tarek or dim sum or, or even in discussions of a growth group. Now, sometimes it might mean lending them a book or sending them an article, or forwarding them a sermon. Sometimes it might mean getting help from other people in order to help them. 
Sometimes it might mean praying for them every day until we see something change. But whatever it is, we have to become passionate and gentle towards them. That show mercy on those who doubt. And secondly, there are others who are not just doubting, but in the thick of sin. Now, as far as we know, they are believers, but they follow these certain people into sin. Maybe they are regularly and unrepentantly involved in sexual immorality, and they are in terrible danger. It's like that without realizing it, they're actually already in the fire. Uh, verse 23, and maybe and it's just a, a matter of time before they burn and die. And so what you've got to do, verse 23, is, is save them by snatching them out of the fire. You've got to try and save them from that face, fate worse than death. It's not going to be easy. It might be hot and painful. Nobody likes to have that conversation. But someone has to do it. Is there someone whom you need to be having a difficult talk with? Save others, Jude says, by snatching them out of the fire. And then there's a third group of people whom Jude simply described as others. Very hard work to work out who they are. Right? Maybe it's anyone not covered in the first two. Uh, maybe even covering the certain people. Uh, what does he say to do? He says, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Still show mercy. Right? Still be compassionate. Still try to save them. But do so with fear. Because this is dangerous. Be very careful lest the influence go the other way. Maybe you need other people in church to pray for you, even join you as you do that. And don't let your mercy be taken by them or anyone else as acceptance of their teaching and behavior. I don't let your attempts to save them turn into accommodating them and giving them the impression that there is a place for their behavior in the church. Instead, it says, we are to hate even the garment stained by the flesh. There is to be no love for sin, no toleration for immorality, no winking at evil. So, remember the warning. Keep yourself in God's love and mercifully try to save others. That, my friends, is our responsibility as part of the church in these last times. But remember how Jude started his letter with the assurance of God's sovereignty which works through our responsibility. We are called by God, loved by Him, kept by Him in Jesus. And even as we are called to keep ourselves in God's love, we know that in the end, God is the one who keeps His people. And those who are called, loved, and kept will stand before Him on that last day. And He will take our efforts to keep ourselves in His love by, by reading His Word, by prayer, by looking forward to Christ's coming. And He will use them to keep us. He will take the mercy and warning and help we give to others, and others give to us, to help keep us. But in the end, behind it all, he's the one at work. And so when we stand before him, safe on the last day, he'll be so happy with us and what he's done for us and in us. And we in turn will be so happy to honor, love, worship, and obey him forever, as the one who truly deserves, and in fact has always deserved, to receive all the glory. 
And so we end this short series as Jude ends his letter. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your holy word, which we have heard this morning. And please help us to remember the warnings of the apostles uh, and not to be taken by surprise when people, even people in church, follow their own ungodly passions and encourage others to do the same. Please preserve and keep us both individually and as a church from this. Please help us to keep ourselves in your love as we grow in your word, as we come to you in prayer, as we look forward to your son's return. Keep pointing us back to what you've done for us in Christ on the cross. And keep on, help us to keep on loving and trusting him to the end. Please help us to be merciful to those who are in danger of falling into terrible sin. And please help us to help them to repent. But may our ultimate confidence be in you, so that on the last day, when we, with all your people, stand perfected before the throne, the glory goes to you alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.